When you're ready to ride Metro, we want you to know we're ready for you. Here are just a few of the people at Metro to tell you how we're doing our part to keep riders safe. We're cleaning like never before, with hospital-grade cleaning. You'll find hand sanitizer stations all over the Metro. No mask, no Metro. Need one? We have a few extras. At Metro, we're doing our part to keep the D.C. area moving. Find out more at wmata.com slash doingourpart. This is No BS Job Search Advice Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Alpin, the Big Game Hunter, and this is episode 840 of this show. No BS Job Search Advice Radio is the show with the most episodes in iTunes of any other podcast about job hunting. And my second show, Job Search Radio, is number two. And this show, like the ones from most of the last week and change, come from Job Search Radio. It's an interview that I did with John Livesey, who talks about pitching ideas. Now, normally he works with investors and his own experiences and uh, some of what he coaches relates to job hunters. So this is the last on this series. We go back to the normal format tomorrow. And I hope you found this show or you find this show and the ones from the last week or so to be helpful to you. And if you have, Please join me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash nobscoachingadvice.com and connect with me on LinkedIn at linkedin.com forward slash IN forward slash the big game hunter. Now let's get going. This is March and baseball is getting ready for a new season. Pitchers and catchers and everyday players have all reported. And you know, Pitching isn't just a baseball term. It's something that occurs in job hunting, in business, and a whole host of other venues. My guest, John Livesey, is the host of a popular podcast about the art of pitching. And we start talking in this interview about how to be effective with your pitches. Then we get on to another interesting topic that I won't spoil for you. I'll just simply say it's a great lesson. Enjoy the show. And before you do, I just want to encourage you that if you like the show, visit iTunes, give it five stars and a good review because it helps other people discover the show. Now, now, join me and let's sing along. Are you looking for a new job or interested in leveling up? Job Search Radio is your go-to resource for insider tips on job hunting and growing your career. Here's your host, Jeff Altman. If you want to learn to pitch, my guest is a pro at pitching. John Livesey is the host of the Successful Pitch Podcast, is a funding strategist and pitch mentor. You know, kind of like a pitching coach, but uh, not for baseball. He's, and is a former big kahuna in the publishing world. John, welcome to Job Search Radio. Great to have you on. Hey, Jeff. It's a pleasure to be with you and your, hear your listeners' uh, questions, if possible. I am always love to talk about how I can help people get their dream job. Cool. So when I hear someone talk about pitching and job search, my first reaction is, oh, no, not elevator pitches. I hate p- elevator pitches. Are we going to talk about elevator pitches for a while? Well, we are going to talk about pitching and a little bit of an elevator pitch, but it's not your typical 
elevator pitch, which sounds robotic and rehearsed, but you do need to be able to tell people in a very short, concise, and hopefully memorable way who you are and what you're looking for and what makes you unique so that people can keep you in mind because you never know when opportunity is going to knock, whether you're in an elevator or at a conference or just at a party. I am relieved, John. Because <laughs> as my guest, as my host, let me, let me try that again. As the people who listen to this show know, I hate elevator pitches because I just feel vomited on when people mm. elevator pitch. So that's my bias against them. And I'm happy to hear that, that there's something better than an elevator pitch we're going to talk about. So uh, let's use yourself as an example uh, mm-hmm. of the kind of, you know, short presentation that you might do meeting someone for the first time. Sure. If somebody so, was at a cocktail party talking to me, I'd say, you know how most tech CEOs are very left brain and they tend to talk about how things are working in numbers and a bunch of acronyms that nobody can understand? Most people go, yes. And then I say, well, you know, what I do is I translate that left brain speak into right brain storytelling. And Plato said, storytellers let us, you know, rule the world and people end up remembering your stories more than your numbers. And I help people become master storytellers so they can get their startup funded and when that happens their business takes off. I love what I do. Interesting. Interesting. So that was an example of one where you talk about yourself in the context of your funding work. Exactly. Great way to present it. Now, if you're the typical job hunter and meeting someone, let's say this is an engineer, so I'm going to make mm-hmm. this challenging here, because yeah, engineering, okay. as a reputation, are not quite as verbal and social as podcast hosts. Right. So, how might this person do it? Um, electrical engineer, computer engineer. Electrical engineer, yes. So someone says, to, this is an electrical engineer who's out of work at the moment and looking for a job, is that... Let's do that one, yes. Okay, got it. Because people speak differently if they're currently help employed and open to opportunities versus unemployed and looking. So uh, if I'm an electrical engineer uh, in between jobs, as it were, and someone says, oh, uh, what do you do? And you would say, well, ever since I was a child, I've had a passion for figuring out how things work and specifically how electricity works. And so I became an electrical engineer and worked at XYZ Company for a number of years. And when I was there, I got to take my passion for engineering and help the company grow their revenues by 20%. And now I'm looking for the next opportunity where I can take my passion for electrical engineering and make it something that makes a difference in the world. Ah, what you've done is humanize the pitch. Exactly. You talk talk about yourself as a human being who, as a little girl or as a little boy, dreamt of these moments where you'd be in the lab. Who who knew you'd wind up being in a desk in a cubicle, but that's a different (laughs) story. (laughs) But you always dreamed of doing this. Took a lot of steps along the way to get there, and now you're looking for something that. Very nice, John. Oh, thanks. Now, if, yes. if this person is working, how might that pitch differ? Well, it starts out very similar, right? You talk about how, you know, how you've always, you know, as a child, been fascinated by how things work, and now you've taken that passion and, and taken it into um, 
you know, your dream job of doing XYZ and, and how long you've been there. And you talk about one of the things you love most about your job is the culture and that it's a place where people are encouraged to be themselves, grow and learn. And in fact, you've had the opportunity to be promoted once in the three or four years that you've been there. Um, and that, uh, you know, one of the things that keeps life exciting is being open to change and leaving it that generic and open. Very sweet. Very sweet. You know, the one thing that's obvious in both of these examples is the notion of the story. Mm-hmm. Exactly, Jeff. Why do, why do stories matter to people? Well, it's in our DNA. You know, if you think back to when we were cavemen, we used to sit around the campfire and tell stories. And now we sit around the globe of PowerPoint presentation if we're in a meeting or if we're you know, um, talking to people because people are engaged in stories. It engages our right brain where imagination comes through. If I say to you, let me pitch you something, then you go into your left brain and you start talking about numbers and how much it costs and analyzing it. But if I say, you know, I'm going to tell you a story of something that happened to me or someone I know, then you sit back and relax. You're, you're oh, you're going to tell me a story. You're not going to try to sell me something. And in a story, we expect that there's some kind of problem, there's some kind of hero, and ideally there's some kind of resolution, uh, lesson learned that we um, remember and like hearing and that we can possibly even retell to some people. It's funny. There was a show I did recently with a guy named Ron Nash uh, who has written about LinkedIn for years. And we got into this conversation about the typical LinkedIn profile and came up with what I can only call the Italian recipe for LinkedIn profiles <laughs> and recipes. And it's the acronym PARM. Uh-huh. So, so the acronym stands for PROBLEM. You know, right. Beginning of the story, what actions you took. This mm-hmm. is where the, you know you you start the hero's journey. Yep. The results that you got. Ta-da! They mm-hmm. brought me into the village. I'm wonderful. <laughs> and the metrics. You know what was the measure of the success? How much money did yes. you help them make or help them uh, uh, make or, or save as a result? For some reason, I'm tongue-tied today. Very interesting. <laughs> so are you doing the same sort of thing in the pitch? Yes. I didn't quite yes, see yes. that in, in the examples that you gave. Well, because at the moment, when you're looking for a job and you're just doing a casual conversation to somebody about who you are and what you're looking for, you don't necessarily have to go into great detail about, you know, there's... You, you're in a particular problem because you don't want to seem desperate like dating, right? Um, so you want to be someone who's already confident, but you can certainly talk about problems you solve. Once you get people, the whole goal in an opening 90-second elevator pitch is to intrigue people, capture their attention, so they say to you, that's interesting, tell me more. And once you get that permission slip, then you go into problem, solution, results, and you, so if you say, you know, if I was talking about my former job at Condé Nast when I worked at W Magazine, and someone said, oh, that sounds interesting, tell me more, or if I'm in an interview, one of the questions that you almost always get asked is, you know, bring your resume to life, right? <laughs> Which is the open invitation to tell me a story. So I would tell a story of how one of my big clients was Jaguar, and they had a big problem that people, you know, didn't really think of it as moving sculpture, and they wanted them to think of Jaguar as moving sculpture to justify its price. 
And so the solution that we came up with was to connect them to the L.A. County Museum of Art and create a whole event where we would have W Magazine and the Museum of Art co-sponsored with Jaguar a private dinner party. And we would pick people up in a Jaguar um, and take them to an exclusive restaurant with a private room. And then people from the museum would speak about art and there'd be somebody there um, from Jaguar talking, which so Jaguar was literally becoming part of the conversation. And in between the courses, people could take a test drive of another Jaguar. And at the end of that event, um, Jaguar sold two cars and W Magazine got 10 pages resulting in $500,000 worth of exclusive business, um, all because Jaguar's problem was solved that they became um, connected and part of the conversation about art. And what's fun about that example is the creative approach to this, because I think a lot of people, as they job hunt, get kind of robotic. You know, mm-hmm. It's a linear thing. I send my resume for the job. I mm-hmm. wait for the phone to ring. <laughs> they, call, uh, they call me. You, know, you go step by step in this process, and there's little that is humanly engaging in it. Right. And that's where and I could... From my experience, you typically, you know, uh, you have to have a phone interview before they even will see you face-to-face. So you have to really um, have your points of what makes you different. And the best way to do that, in my opinion, is have a story that engages um, the potential interviewer that makes them, God, i got to see this person in person. If they're this interesting over the phone, I can only imagine what they're like in person. Bingo, and I agree, and I want to pick up on that in just a moment. But first, let's have a, a take a pause here for a word from a sponsor. We're back. So, John, let's use that example of the phone interview, where generally there's an HR person on the line calling up to basically say, uh, hi, I received your resume, want to have a chance to talk, is this a good time? Do you encourage people to just do it right then and there or delay so they can be mentally ready? I encourage people to be ready all the time. If you've got somebody on the phone that wants to talk to you, I'd make that, I'd be ready. I wouldn't need time to gather my resume or gather my thoughts. And what that requires is preparation. Arthur Ashe has his wonderful quote that the key to success is confidence and the key to confidence is preparation. So I think you need to practice, you know, talking to people um, so that when you do get that phone call, that if it's a good time for them, it's a good time for you. That's very well put, and I like that. You know, you and I both do sales in one form or another, whether mm-hmm. it's on our podcasts or in our careers uh, outside of the podcast world. And you're right. As soon as you have that opportunity, don't blow it. Don't procrastinate. Don't let your fear rule you. Just get mm-hmm. in there and sell. So, do you get the ever popular "tell me about yourself" question in yes. the first conversation? You go, well, Jeff. A lot of people are afraid to feel like I don't know how to sell myself. I'm not. A, I'm not interviewing for a sales job, and I tell people to sell yourself. Just be yourself, and the best way to be yourself is to become a storyteller. And once you take the pressure off of having to sell yourself and just realize you have to become a storyteller, it's much easier for people to think of themselves as storytellers than salespeople when they're in an interview. So with that, they get to tell me about yourself in that first phone interview. So let's, let's say it's a, I received your resume, uh, your background looked interesting, want to have a chance to talk, is this a good time? Yes. Great. So um, 
Tell me about yourself and what you've been doing professionally. Are they going into the pitch then, or are they waiting? Yes, absolutely. In fact, um, what you do is remember that your life is a story, and a story has a beginning, middle, and end. And I had this exact situation when I was interviewing at the Daily Beast, which is a website that Tina Brown launched uh, with Bear Diller owning it. And what I said was, you know, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago and went to school in Champaign-Urbana and loved what I learned there uh, about advertising. And when I graduated, I moved to California and got my first sales job. And I took all my Midwest values of showing up on time and doing what I was saying I was going to do and not being flaky and took that my initiative to California. And the person interviewing me said, oh, my, I lived in Chicago for a year, so I know what you mean about Chicago people doing that. Now, Jeff, had I not started my story with growing up in Chicago and going to college, that would never have been a point of connection. And I knew that the people in New York tend to think of the people in California as flaky, so I was automatically overcoming that objection by telling that story. Very sweet. Very nicely done. You know, for most people, when they get into that first question, they get into a very direct approach. And in and, and a lot of professions, that's exactly it. In your case, you were conscious of the bias that exists and overcame mm-hmm. it in a very subtle way. Folks, you're going to run into the same sort of thing. And you have to be prepared to diffuse it because no one's going to ask you about it. So just right. It's, it's that, um, unsp- you know, what are the unspoken questions that somebody has that are sort of the unspoken objections? Um, and you have to address them in ways that make it palatable. I remember one interview I had, um, and I, I think I had six or seven interviews in one day at Condé Nast to get hired. And it was a multiple number of people. And, you know, if you keep doing well, you keep getting more interviews. And um, then it, at the end, they send you back to human resources. And of course, one of HR's jobs is to, you know, get the best people at the lowest price, right? And she uh, said to me, you know, your salary requirements are a little higher than what we were, had planned to pay. And I said, I understand how you would, you know, would feel that way. But everything I hear about working here at this particular job is that it requires someone who can convince advertisers to pay a premium price over the competition. So if I can't convince you that I'm worth a premium price, how could I possibly convince advertisers to pay a premium price? To me, it's like buying a house. You know, you have a certain budget and you you want the, the view and you want the location and you want, you know, a pool. And you may not be able to afford all three of those things within your budget. And But if you really want all three things, you'll find the money to get that dream house. And I'm the person that has the pool, the view, and the location. I know the territory. I have the contacts. I'm ready to hit the ground running. There wouldn't be any training needed, et cetera, et cetera. And I got the job at the salary I was requesting. And, folks, I'm going to pause here and just say that, you know, particularly if you're in sales, particularly if you're in some revenue-generating function, you understand that their job, is to, as John has said, is to drive the price of the hire down as low as possible, as early as possible, particularly when you don't have a lot of information. And your job is to keep that door open and to demonstrate how you provide the value. Uh, I was talking to a guy yesterday through LinkedIn, and you know, his scenario was as a sales guy, he had worked, he had worked for a firm before, uh, was 
being considered to be brought back in, which I know is going to leave a good story, John. <laughs> but mm-hmm. what area was the immediate manager he had before gone? That one had, uh, was replaced by someone who didn't know him. His peers and other managers want to bring him back, and he sensed that there was another contender in play, and he wanted to know what to do. And I just simply said, "You're a salesman. Go sell." <laughs> yeah, the reason because if you're in that situation, the, you always have competition no matter what you're selling, and nobody exactly wants to be right. selling just on price. It's a, then it's a commodity. That's right. So I know you got rehired at a particular point. Tell us that story. I'm going to get my sure. slippers, and I'm going to get the hot toddy, and I'm going to sit down and, tell, and tell me a nice story, John. <laughs> well, once upon a time, I worked at a company called Condé Nast for 14 years, and in 2009, the economy was really tanking, especially in the luxury market, and they hired uh, an outside consultant firm to come in and figure out how to cut costs. And that recommendation was to lay off everybody in all the outside offices and cut 30% of the staff in New York. So I got that phone call, and it definitely rocks your confidence. It's, you think, what? You know, are you sure? You, you, know, you can't figure out a way to keep me? And, and um, it's very challenging not to take that personally. And they wanted me and everybody else to clear out their desks that day. And I said, well, don't you want a turnover report? So you know which ad should run on which issue on which page? And they said, oh, my God, that would be amazing. But most people are so furious here in New York, they're just storming out. And I said, oh, I couldn't do that to the clients. I've known them for 14 years. I've seen them get married. I've seen them have children. I'm not going to do that to them. So, you know, before I cleaned up my office that day, I took the time to write a turnover report and make sure that they knew which ad should run where and what the next steps were on everything that was in play. And my boss obviously appreciated that. And uh, then I had to go reinvent myself, and I learned how to sell digital ads instead of just print ads, and that was the Daily Beast job. And I was there for a couple of years, and then I got a call back from Connie Nass saying, would you consider coming back? We need someone who has not only print experience but digital experience, and a lot of the clients that had been running left and seem to have followed you to the Daily Beast, and we want them back in print and on our website. And we have a new editor, and, and we'd love to have you back. Um, and so I said, yes, I, I, would, I would love to come back. And when I came back, the clients were thrilled, and one of them said to me and my boss at an event, you know, if either one of you had a hint of arrogance, this would never work. She had to be willing to admit that it was a mistake to let me go, and I couldn't come back all arrogant, thinking, ah, you know, I had to come back with a sense of gratitude and appreciation and, and saying I wouldn't come back if I didn't feel like I could bring those accounts back. And in fact, I did deliver and, and brought all those accounts back the following year and one salesperson of the year, not just for the magazine, but for the entire company. So it turns out that there's a whole phrase for this called the boomerang employee, where you leave either on your own accord or, or not and then um, get hired back uh, for whatever reason. So I think the key lesson there is, whenever possible, always leave on a high note. You bet. And I want to dissect the story for a second and, and compare it to one that a friend of mine experienced who was in a completely different field. And let me tell that story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we'll compare the notes here. Sure. She was, she was an auditor for one of the global banks in New York. Mm-hmm. and left, was well-regarded, 
but there came a point where she felt stifled in her career. Mm. She accepted position with another firm, and then comes the exit interview, where they're talking with her, and eventually she's brought into the office of the president of this global bank, who she'd never met before, but to, but he's reading the report about her and says, you've really disappointed a lot of people by leaving. I won't insult you by trying to make a counteroffer. I just want to say that if you ever consider leaving that firm, please call my office. This is the phone number. Mm. Three Flashy. years later, she, she did and was rehired. Hmm. So Great. let's compare the two stories here. One's voluntary and one's not. That's the first big difference. <laughs> yep. So, were you both doing a great job? Yes. Okay. Did you both go out um, properly? Um, I'm using that term with air quotes around it. Sorry we couldn't do a video on this one, folks, but you know, mm -hmm. just imagine air quotes from me here. <laughs> I would say yes. Correct. And as such, when there was an opportunity to return, neither of you felt jaded by the experience, and more importantly, neither did they. Exactly. And that becomes a formula, folks, because this job that you're looking for right now may not work out as you hope. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, you want to always be in the position where... This employer that you're working for now is one that doesn't hate you. If anything, right. they love you, admire you, adore you, and believe you know the the ground parts before you. <laughs> exactly. They want to bring you back. So it, it's a great story, John. So, no, thanks, sir. You're welcome, and it's a good lesson for people. So were there any other things that came into that that you think contributed to you being someone that they would want to bring back? Any particular formula to this that others could look at as part of their journey? Well, I think the big formula is even when things look bad or you feel like this is horrible, take the high road and try to see the big picture and don't take it so personally. Uh, and it's not easy, but I, if I had one big piece of advice, it was, you know, pull back, try to see the big picture when things are not going the way you expect them to or things don't feel good and realize that this too shall pass and you never know how it's going to play out in the, in the long run. Agreed. And, and I'll add, you know, another thing in there. Mm. You know, at the at the end of the day, it's all about you winning, not your ego. Yes. Two, 2009, you know, the the earth opened up in front of in the middle of the global economy and was swallowing mm -hmm. everyone and everything. So right. it become, you know, it was not unique to you, obviously, that this occurred. So right. I think the other big lesson for me, Jeff, that may be helpful for your listeners is. Who you are is bigger than what you do for a living, regardless of how long you've been doing it or how fancy your title is. That just because you may be out of a job doesn't mean you lose your identity or your skills and your essence of what makes you a valuable human being, let alone a valuable employee. Amen, brother. <laughs> Did, have you ever been in a situation where, in leading an organization, you had to deal with a counteroffer? Uh, yes, 
and I am a for me personally I don't think you should take counter offers because I think they end up resenting it I think if you don't feel appreciated in any relationship business or personal you should get out and it's a um, and I've seen it happen in personal relationships where someone says okay don't leave I'll change and then it never really lasts so that's my take on that I don't know if you agree with it or not but that's my experience I think statistically it's rare that they work out well. I know there's a, a classic piece of agency lore that, that they try to uh, propagate on job hunters, that what's happening is that you're only getting the next raise a little bit early, they mm-hmm. present it, and then there comes a time where you and someone else are competing for a role, and they have a choice between hiring you or the loyal person. Right. <laughs> That's the classic agency pitch against uh, using it, uh, accepting a counter. And the truth of the matter is they don't usually work out, and yours may. And you've got to be real cautious to understand the organization, the people there, whether they're likely to resent it or whether they can let bygones be bygones, just like you're being asked to do. Mm -hmm. And if, if the only thing that it's about is the money, well you can probably do better elsewhere and not have to risk this all. Exactly. So, hey, John, this has been terrific. How can people find out more about you and the work that you do? Sure. Um, Well, if anybody wants to get my three mistakes to avoid when you're pitching anything, whether you're pitching for funding or pitching for a job, you can text 66866 and the word funding, and you'll get a free PDF from me. And on my website, which is sellingsecretsforfunding.com. I have a free ebook where I've taken five of the top investors and they share their secrets on what they look for when they hear a pitch. So that's today's show. I hope you found it helpful. And if you did, here are a few ways to connect with me. First of all, if you're interested in one-to-one coaching from me, email me at Jeff Altman at TheBigGameHunter.us in the subject line. Put the word coaching. This way I know what it's about. I can get back in touch with you. We'll figure out a time to speak for an introductory conversation so that I learn what your needs are and you can figure out if I'm the right person to help you. Generally, I work with people at a manager level and above, but I do make exceptions from time to time. If you're not at that level and want advice from me, the best way is through JobSearchCoachingHQ.com. There I have curated information that I've developed and others have as well that you can watch, listen to, or read that's going to help you find work more quickly. Again, you can ask me questions through the site. I'd be very happy to answer your questions. I look forward to helping you in either of those two ways. And if we're not connected on LinkedIn, send a connection request to me at linkedin.com forward slash IN forward slash The Big Game Hunter. Mention that you listen to the show because I love hearing from fans, from listeners who have been helped by the show. And like me on Facebook. The page is facebook.com forward slash nobscoachingadvice.com or look for Jeff Altman, the big game hunter there. Give me five stars, a great review. It helps other people discover the show. And I'll be back tomorrow with more. In the meantime, have a great day. Take care.
for calling Toyota. This is Jan. Hi, Jan. I heard Toyotathon is on. It sure is. Perfect. I'm getting a head start on my list for Santa. Well, we've got great year-end deals on Camry, Highlander, RAV4, and more. But what kind of toys do you have? It's actually Toyotathon, not Toyotathon. We have great deals on vehicles, not toys. I'm sorry, sweetie. Okay. What can I get for five bucks? Current offers end November 30th. Toyotathon ends January 4th. Participating dealers only. Toyota. Let's go places. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwans.com backslash yum for details.